I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Women Who Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. My name is Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Lali Arakoglu. Hello. Joining us this week to answer your questions are Women Who Travel podcast regular at this point, Megan Spirell, our community editor. Hello. And we have a rookie, uh, Stephanie Wu, who is one of our newest contributing editors. Hi, guys. This week, because so many of you loved the episode that we did a couple months ago, answering questions that were frequently asked in our Facebook group, which is also called Women Who Travel, uh, we decided to do a round two. Because this episode is coming out on April 16th, we are really keeping our fingers crossed that you have done your taxes, but a bunch of money questions come up in the group, and so we figured it would be a good place to start. And yes, so lots of questions about money. Hopefully you, maybe you got a tax refund. Maybe you're trying to figure out where to go, what to spend it on. Maybe you've already booked your trip and you feel like you have a little bit of extra cash to spare. In any case, Elizabeth in the group had a question which I think has come up in conversation a lot for me and Meredith, both in our own personal travels and talking to other people in the office. Um, But she asked a question that she said she searched the group and couldn't find an answer for, which is, Is it better to take money out of an ATM in Istanbul, for example, this could apply to anywhere, or take cash over to an exchange place? I would say always, period, don't go to a cash exchange place. Like usually the rates are pretty bad and it's honestly a better option for you to go to your bank at home. For me, I use Bank of America and I'll let them know maybe like three weeks out, like I need a hundred US dollars worth of South African Rand or Mexican pesos and you can go and you can either pick it up at your bank or they'll send it to you. And so that's like the easiest way for me to get cash ahead of time. Um, Instead of bringing like US cash, which I already don't even carry on me to an exchange in another country where the rates are not going to be as good. I think like If you're going to plan ahead, talk to your bank. But what do you guys think about taking money out of ATMs? I was going to say, as someone who doesn't plan ahead ever, (laughs) um, and Lolly and Meredith have traveled with me, so they can vouch for that. I mean, it's ideal to show up with cash in the currency of the place you're traveling to. But if you show up, especially for like a woman traveling alone, um, if that's the case, and you don't have money on you, like definitely take something out of the ATM, whether it is exchanging money there or using an ATM, because I think... There's just nothing worse than leaving the airport and not having the local currency on you. And I've found myself at the airport a lot of times without, you know, I either get in late and the exchange places are closed or I don't have something. But I always try and bring like a $100 bill 
with me wherever I go. So if I'm ever in a situation like that, I know someone will be willing to take it or I can exchange it somewhere as a last resort. And at least I have some cash on me. Um, but I always, if I don't show up with money, um, with the local currency, I do use the ATM at the airport just so I have a little something and then I do it again in the city. Actually, to that point, if you're traveling by yourself, do you guys feel safe going to a random ATM and taking out money? Do you have any tricks? My trick is just if a person who lives there takes money out of that ATM, I am like fully justified in taking money out of the ATM. I don't know. <laughs> I'll answer both questions in one go. Um, my rule of thumb, always, always um, ATM at the airport. And I don't have any real like mathematical evidence behind this, but I would say that I think I always get the best exchange rate when I'm in the country, in the moment, and basically, you know, using the ATM there. I'm totally with Megan in terms of um, getting money at the airport before you leave. I always think, you know, airports have a ton of people around. It's definitely one of the safer places to use an ATM. I don't have to feel like I'm constantly looking over my shoulder when I'm traveling alone, which I often am, especially when I'm still at the airport stage. Um, and what I'll always try to do is if the ATM is only giving me large bills, I'll head to one of the... Um, convenience stores or pharmacies at the airport, buy something small like a bottle of water and get some um, small bills just in case I need them for a bellman or a taxi cab or anybody who's not going to be able to immediately break any large um, local currency I have. And the reason why I asked about feeling safe once you're at an ATM in the city is I find when I'm traveling, if I'm getting money out, I'm not getting the sort of money out that I do when I live in a place. Because you have transaction fees that you're trying to skirt. Usually you're getting like larger chunks out at the same time. Um, like, I don't know. I don't want to get $500 out of the ATM in New York and I live here. So for me, I have a Charles Schwab debit card that I exclusively use when I travel because I don't have to pay ATM foreign transaction fees. And I just put like $200 on it so that like in case of emergency, if it gets lost or stolen or somehow magically disappears out of my wallet. Like, it's not like it's the actual end of the world. It's not like my actual credit card or debit card has been stolen. Um, but it has just enough money for like incidentals for me to pick up a hundred dollars or so from the ATM. And I don't even have to worry about the transaction fees. So I feel like that kind of like skirts, skirts that. that problem. Well, I also, I feel like I do a lot of um, travel in Latin America where, you know, you, you're just told by people who live in a lot of these different big cities to be a lot more careful about ATMs, taking money out. You also have to worry about your cards being copied, which happens all over. But I think I would say like, you know, being in the airport or a place with a lot of people is a really safe way to take out money and feel comfortable getting it back to your hotel. But like definitely take your money back to your hotel and then take out just what you need. You can also, I always ask my hotel or Airbnb host like for a safe ATM that's near them. I think when you're using the ATM, another thing beyond just like having wads of cash is you can actually like, you know, do all the things that your bank tells you to do when you first get a debit card, which is like cover your hand when you're typing your pin in. And like you actually, you know, in, I used to live in Rio and a thing you had to do every single time you used an ATM was you grab like the part where your card enters and you pull it. And if it jiggles and loose and it's loose, you don't use that ATM because people will add attachments that can copy the card. They have the same thing in London. Same yeah. thing happens in London. Yeah. And I actually... I did that the whole time I lived there would, you know, shake it, pull it, look around. And I actually had my checking, my savings account drained once because I like was not paying attention and used it and it was copied. So it was just a, like, you know, banks will help you. You're, you'll be fine. But it, you don't want to be without money on a trip. So I think using all those precautions help. 
I also love that breaking your notes um, into smaller bills because I never do that. And then I'm always like having to tip someone and I'm like, well, I guess they're getting a very large tip from me. <laughs> well, and that always happens right when you arrive because you have the taxi, mm-hmm. you have the bellman. So. so another person asked in the group, and it's actually a question that comes up a lot. And Mia asked, while traveling, where do you stash your money on your person? Um, I don't know, Lala, you are like the pro fanny pack person at this table. <laughs> I am. I, but you know, I just aspire to be the sort of person that can pull off a fanny pack. And I think a lot <laughs> of us can. There are so many cool ones now. I was in Topshop on the weekend. All these amazing fanny packs. Who'd have thought? It was right next to the scrunchie aisle. <laughs> so that's where we're at. I mean, I won't go on a tangent, but I actually got a fanny pack on in Columbia on a women who travel trip. I got one that like all these men were bu- buying these like big leather fanny packs. And I was like, yeah, I'll take one, please. Thank you. <laughs> I wore it. Um, I am less of a fanny pack person, I will admit, but I will say I'm a big proponent of essentially a smaller wallet for when I travel. I've got my regular larger wallet um, for day to day, but when I'm on the road, I always think something a little bit less conspicuous, a little bit, um, definitely something that fits into my pocket is the way to go for carrying money, just so that um, you're not flashing around a large wallet, opening something that might have um, a ton of your regular cards or, um, you know, membership cards falling out of it. So when I'm on the road, I always move just the essentials to a smaller wallet. So that means credit card, license, a little bit of cash, debit card, and that's it. That's all I'm taking on the road because you never know. And then the other tip I would say is never put all your cash in one place. Um, Leave some in your hotel room, put some in your travel wallet. Maybe you stick a bill in your socks just in case, but you know, spread Guys, it out as much as you were can. Meant for. <laughs> yeah. This is literally the only other perk of a bra is that you have an automatic pocket. Oh, and you know there are some products in line that definitely fuse <laughs> the fanny pack with the bra. Um, but to that point, I also say like leave your debit card at home because you can use your credit card to buy things, but like I always separate my debit and my credit card. So if one were to get lost, I have another like source of more money. Um, and I always use my debit card, take out the money, and then leave it at the hotel the rest of the mm-hmm. trip. And that makes me feel a lot more comfortable. And I have had to like, I have lost credit cards or had them stop working and had to go back and get it. And also I just want to clarify that like, we're not saying that you should be walking around any new place and be terrified that you're going to get robbed. The chances of you getting robbed are very slim. It's more that you could get drunk and lose your wallet, <laughs> which oh. I know that more than one person in the traveler office has done, <laughs> myself included. And these are just good tips for like day trip from your you know home city mm-hmm. or like even if you're just going to be out all day. I, I do a lot of these things even at home, too. Well, yeah. And I feel like you're just so overwhelmed. You're paying attention to so many new things. Whatever you can do to like make your your life easier and have less to keep track of is always the better. No it's matter also what. like an inadvertent way of budgeting because I always <laughs> leave... You know, I'm never taking all my cash out. So I'm like, okay, well, this is probably realistically how much I need to have for today. And it is quite a good way of keeping track of your money and how much you're actually spending. And I will say that money belts get a bad rap, (laughs) which is usually justified. But if you are actually looking for one because you are maybe backpacking and need to keep a lot of money on your person and don't want to stick it all in your backpack, look for a running belt um, because a lot of companies like Nike and other athletic brands have very small tight to your body, just like cotton, jersey, stretchy um, bands that aren't like those big, weird khaki things that like also like have to tuck into your pants. We're not (laughs) there. We're talking like basically like the band of your leggings, but separated, um, which is just another just like super easy thing if you are concerned and and actually have to keep a lot of cash on you. Um, This is a fun question. 
What are the biggest things you have ever splurged on in your travels that you will never regret spending money on? And that's a question from Sarah W. Steph, what have you got? I'm going to go ahead and say that the things that I truly never regret are experiential. um, And sometimes they might feel like they cost a little bit more, but it's rare that I've ever regretted it. And my favorite example is I was in the Turks and Caicos a few um, years back, and I had this incredible opportunity to essentially go swimming with ponies. And I was just like, I have... Swimming, <laughs> swimming with not ponies. sharks, not nope. dolphins. This isn't even the pig island. This is like <laughs> another island. It's like you you ride. You're, it's like horse riding, and you ride them into the ocean, and they're basically walking through the waters, which is incredible. And your um, lower half is totally drenched, and you're obviously in a bathing suit. But it's basically like horseback riding meets wading in the ocean with a lovely supportive pony. Um, and it supportive. was something I like, that part. like ninety dollars US, which I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm in the Caribbean. $90 US is probably my entire, you know, restaurant budget for this entire trip. But I just knew that I was never going to have the chance to do this again. And so fully, fully was like, just do it, you know, not look back. And obviously got some incredible photos, one of which is still my Facebook profile photo to this day, which in and of itself, like fully makes it a worth it <laughs> experience to me. So that is um, something that I never, ever regret. And I will flip the question on its head, too, and just say the things that I found I have regretted are those in-the-moment splurges where I am feeling like a completely different person because I'm in a place like Morocco. And I'm like, oh, I'm free. Like, everything is just like straw everywhere and pom-poms. And I'm just going to buy. You know what I'll wear at home? A caftan. <laughs> Not at all. And I'm just <laughs> spending all this money on, on things that I might have used once on that trip and just never see the light of day again at home. Oh, my God. The amount of men in like straw Panama hats I've seen <laughs> flying back from like Central and South America. And I'm just like, really, are you, you going to wear that around New York? Or floral pattern shirts. Yes. I, or let's talk about the elephant pants in Thailand because they are so soft to sleep in. But oh, my God, no, they don't belong be anywhere else. Your house. It's like Ugg boots. Like we just wear mm. it in the privacy of your own home. Um, Megan, what have you spent money on that you have really loved? Experiential always wins because you remember that. Um, but I also buy, <laughs> I buy things. Um, I try to like keep my shopping in check at home. Like, and you know, living in a New York City apartment already helps with that. But I think there are a lot of things at home that I will think about for a long time, like a new leather backpack. Um, Lolly oh, knows where I'm going with tell this me one. About this leather backpack. Maybe I also <laughs> bought the same leather backpack. But I, you know, I wanted just like a simple leather backpack, and I had looked at ones in New York for so long, and just like not been sure on the splurge I wanted. And then I was in Medellin, um, and I saw this beautiful leather backpack that was actually a fraction of the price of what it would have cost here, but still was like a big purchase to make on a trip, you know, out of nowhere. And I bought it and it's the kind of thing that I use like every single day now. And I've started doing that where I try and find these nice staples that I think about more at home. I can usually find abroad for a little bit less. And then I feel really excited about them, even if they end up costing the same because they're from this place. I associate them with really nice memories and they feel special. You know, not everyone has it. And Except, you know, now me and Lolly both have it and it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, mine's in a different shade. Also, this And I is, recently um, spilled on mine. Oh, so. no, well, I was going to say, <laughs> I spilled on mine last night because 
You know how Wait. I went out for dumplings? Uh-huh. Well, I was sitting at the table and there was some grease and it smeared right across <laughs> the front of it. And I had a small meltdown and then realized that, you know, it's sort of when you have some beautiful new thing and you're really precious over it and there always comes the band-aid moment where it gets ripped off and you're like, all right, now I have to just treat this like any of my other things and it's going to get slightly ruined and you know I'm, well, I'm over it now it's fine <laughs> but if I it's put leather it gives a character right <laughs> exactly yeah, right? <laughs> it's very worn from my travels in Colombia you um, would think that except I put a to-go t- container of ceviche in my backpack which yes a lot of people have said oh, well that I know that we're probably stain is <laughs> yes and it leaked I leaned against something and it sm- crushed the container which I thought was very sturdy and so it's like the oil of the chilies that I had to have them add and also like fish juice so just you know I'm working on it. <laughs> but I do completely agree that um, I think obviously you shouldn't just be buying a, a thousand pom-pom things in Morocco. But there is something to be said about finding a few really beautiful, unique souvenirs, whether that is a piece of clothing or an accessory or something for your home that you can bring back. I have a little, you know, paper mache bird that my mum bought me from Lisbon and I have it in my apartment. It's one of my favourite things in my apartment. And I got a pink woven fan in Colombia that also looks wonderful in my apartment. I got my backpack. And I also like buying jewellery because I wear it all the time and it makes me think of that place. Um, So I think it's like, obviously it feels superficial, but I think it can be like a really nice way of taking you back there um, once you've left. But I will say that other things that I've splurged on are when I'm traveling on a budget, I'm splurging on one amazing, fantastic meal at a really special restaurant because food is really important to me and a huge part of how I travel. I also will say nothing wrong with a spa day. I would agree. I think that spending on food is always really important to me, but it's something that I have sometimes regretted. Like there have been meals mm-hmm. where I like mm-hmm. put a lot of emphasis on like this is going to be the best a meal of this entire trip and I get there and I spend a lot of money on it and it's fine but it's fine yeah well and, and then you have an amazing torta the next day right yeah, like on the street and you're <laughs> sometimes like, hmm. you just need a taco right yeah <laughs> well I also think it's like again trying to think of something that you couldn't have at home so you can travel the world and find these incredible Michelin star restaurants that everyone says are you know one of the best restaurants in the city that's really far from home but when you have the meal they're doing something very similar to what you'd find if you'd mm-hmm. you know only walked a couple blocks and so I think it's trying to find a place that does something that's just really different and again it's like an experience more than just a meal yeah, my splurge is on accommodations because I feel like, depending on where you're going, you could potentially be spending a lot of time there. If you're going to a beach destination or you're going on a big group trip with a lot of people and you all want to hang out together, like finding a place that one makes sure that everyone has their own space mm-hmm. where they can exit the group. And it's somewhere that you're actually genuinely excited to spend time in and wake up in the morning, whether that's an Airbnb or a hotel. It doesn't always have to be a splurge, but I think like making sure that you're like confident in the place that you're staying, be it its location or its size or the decor, because you just want to have a really great living room um, or a bathtub or whatever it is that you don't have in your own home, um, i.e. both of those things in my apartment. I think that that's always been the important thing to me. And I feel like I've never regretted spending a little more money when it's something that I've really wanted to stay in. You also like, unless you're like, you've gone into your trip in the mindset that you're going to, you know, you're not going to be there at all. And it's all about budgeting and it's just not important. Like 
you want to even if you're only there to sleep like you want to walk back into that place and like not feel depressed and, <laughs> and like it and, want and feel to be like you're in on it. vacation yeah and feel like you're on vacation okay i know we're saying everything but i have to add one I'm sorry. Megan spends money like, on all, on all, every so single aspect of a trip. Uh, where you stay, where you eat, what you buy. <laughs> um, a really good tour guide when you're in a place where you go because of the history. I think like I recently went on a trip to Cuba and had just a phenomenal tour guide who was with us every single day. And I haven't done a trip like that in a while and to be able to hear like every day things through her eyes was just incredible. And it made me wonder why I don't coordinate to tour guides for myself more often because I think that's something like the expertise of someone who's from there who makes their profession and telling people about their home can be really incredible and I think that's like there are certain destinations where you just can't not do that and Cuba's definitely one of them. Um, and I'll add on to that for museum tour guides as well. I can't tell you the number of museums I've been through where I've just kind mm-hmm. of walked through aimlessly, you know, looked for the the three top things that everybody else is looking for and then dashed out probably to go find a taco. <laughs> um, and the museums that really are the most memorable ones for me are when I've had a tour guide who can actually talk me through how the exhibits are curated or the architecture or, you know, some of the more special pieces that visitors often overlook when they're um, running to see the Guernica. You know, all of these things kind of really make for a real memorable few hours, um, especially when, if you're like me, you plan your trip around meals and you never know what to do in between meals um, (laughs) to keep it memorable. (laughs) When I also think it sends you home with so much more information than when you started. Um, So you actually have things to Tell your friends about Yeah, quasi bore your friends who are like, I was stuck in my office all week while you were at museums and eating. (laughs) I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to level up? For me, it's my hiking boots, which have gotten me over some pretty tough terrain. And I'm not talking about my morning commute on the New York City subway. They've pushed me to go to far-off places like trekking in the remote mountains in Patagonia, wildlife spotting amid the thick rainforest of the Amazon, and climbing through canyons in the Utah desert. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. There's an available panorama glass roof, 33-inch all-terrain tires, and multi-terrain select driving modes. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior means that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told presents She Has a Name. 
where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. Okay, so I know that you just answered, like had the last word on that question, Stephanie, but I have a question that's pretty specific to you because by the time this episode airs between us recording it and the episode going up, you will have gone on your own bachelor Yes, party. I'm excited. Um, <laughs> so Alicia asks... Does anyone have a killer, underrated bachelorette location? We'll be going in August. I've been to Nashville a few times, lived in Louisiana, not a fan of Vegas, took a girl's trip to Austin. These are like all of the top spots. Feeling a bit uninspired, so if anyone has out-of-the-box recommendations for the U.S., I would love to hear them. Yeah, so as Mare mentioned, I've been planning my own bachelorette, and I definitely had all of the same struggles as you. You know, I'd been to so many of these super popular bachelorette destinations. I'd seen the groups at bars and on the streets and in my hotels, and I wanted to do um, something really different. So my, I think my first point of advice would be to think about what type of trip you want your bachelorette to be. Um, it might be a more sightseeing type trip where you want to be in a city and you want to be at, you know, the best restaurants and, and bar hop several nights in a row. Um, I was just in in New Orleans for a bachelorette party. And that's exactly what it was. We went to um, all the best restaurants and we stayed um, at a huge Airbnb and we spent all of our time on Bourbon Street. You might want a total relaxation kind of um, bachelorette, which might mean you're looking for um, Florida or you're looking for a more spa type trip in Texas Hill Country or maybe even the Berkshires or the Catskills, you know. So really start with kind of the goal of your bachelorette. Um, the goal of my bachelorette was to do as little planning as humanly possible <laughs> because I'm super type A and I knew I would not be delegating the planning to one of my close friends and that I'd be planning it myself. And so in order for me to have what I figured was the most stress-free bachelorette, I pretty much turned immediately to all-inclusives. Um, there are so many incredible all-inclusives these days that are not just like bad buffet food, sugary drinks, and screaming children. <laughs> I promise. Um, and Mexico is a great example of that, especially if you look um, in the Playa del Carmen area, which has had tons of chic, all-inclusive hotels come up that really emphasize both design and food. And then you could do what I did, which was to skip land entirely and book a cruise instead, because that is how I define all-inclusive when literally lodging, food, entertainment, drinks, and even the journey itself are all wrapped in one big package. All you have to do is show up with your bags and basically you don't have to plan a single other thing. And so that's what I'm doing this weekend. I am heading to the Bahamas with nine of my closest friends, male and female, and we're going to have a blast. That sounds like so much fun. I can't wait. And actually, the thing I'm most excited about, I found out that my Norwegian cruise ship has deal or no deal on it. So we will fully <laughs> oh be playing deal like, or no deal. Embrace your inner <laughs> Meghan Markle circa early 2000s. <laughs> exactly. We're going to be like old ladies gambling on deal or no deal. Basically. <laughs> well, so, also, 
Also, as like an attendee, I would rather not have to be involved in like 3,000 emails where you're trying to mm -hmm. satisfy everyone. And like, it's just better for everyone. That sounds great. I am interested to know though, how, what was the overall response from the group when you floated the word cruise? So they were definitely skeptical. I think it helps that they have all traveled with me and trust me to plan a trip. And I was like, stay with me here, guys. It's either <laughs> going to be, and literally this is what I said to them, it's either going to be an Airbnb in the Catskills or a cruise in the Bahamas. And honestly, the Bahamas just sounded a lot better when we were planning this in January. <laughs> when you were talking, Megan, about like making sure that everyone's on board and you're trying to please everybody, I know, Lolly, you've been on a couple of bachelorettes, mm -hmm. and I know that going back to money and like splitting and, and everyone being able to pay their part and feel comfortable with how much that they're paying um, is a real concern on most group trips, but I think bachelorette trips especially. Um, how have you, on your multiple bachelors that you have been an attendee on um, kind of manage that expectation? So I think I've been very lucky in that I've had um, very, very thoughtful, considerate friends getting married who have their number one concern when planning has been that everyone has different jobs and are at different life points financially and otherwise and maybe have a different idea of how much money they are willing to spend. I personally, when I had my bachelorette, it was at um, a dive bar in Red Hook. I wouldn't change a thing, but we were all a lot more broke then. Um, <laughs> and I think one of the things that my one friend did, which was really great, is she made food very low on the list of priorities for her trip and really made it about she was like, these are some amazing sandwich places that I found. These are some amazing taco places. This is one place that does small plates and does jazz. We're in New Orleans um, if we want to feel classy. And she was like, if anyone feels strongly that they want to go and try out this amazing restaurant, they have full permission to like go off, go get dinner and then meet up with us. But like, this is what I'm going to be doing. Play along as you will. Um, and it really worked out because no one felt uncomfortable and you know I think it's if you're the higher earners in the group it's easier for you to like budget down than for the others to budget up and also ultimately like it is about um hanging out as a group of friends also love the app split wise it's erased every argument I've ever had in group <laughs> travel we have a whole story about it on the site no I was gonna say didn't you guys have a day when you like ordered in fried chicken and yeah it poured and with rain it was a huge huge storm and so we ordered in loads and loads and loads of fried chicken and a bunch of other delicious Southern food, hung out in the Airbnb all day, drank mimosas. And um, my friend who was getting married had a friend who was a tattoo artist that lived in New Orleans and she came over to the Airbnb and gave us all tattoos. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So amazing. Um, and I think you guys really hit on this point of like when you are traveling with a large group such as a bachelorette, um, the key really is that it's not too scripted. And there is that flexibility for, you know, like let's all do our own thing for lunch and then hang out with the bride or the groom um, for dinner. And, you know, the that bride or groom probably does know every single person coming on their trip, but those friends may not know each other. So when you're dealing with essentially traveling with potential strangers um there just has to be a lot more flexibility so that nobody feels like oh well my budget was completely ignored or wow we went to 10 dive bars and all i wanted was a 16 dollar martini <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, How's I, it going to kill each other by the end if you have to spend every second together? Yep. <laughs> well, and I also think, again, it's just the transparency up front. I think the worst, you know, dynamics I've had on group trips have been when nothing is discussed until it's already been paid for and someone's Venmoing you for it. And you're like, hmm, I wouldn't have chosen to spend $75 on that thing. So I think it's just being really transparent and just, you know, laying out what you're going to do and how much it's going to cost beforehand. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit and ask everyone what their best tips are for surviving a long haul flight. Dominique is flying solo to Bali from the UK, um, which is a very long uh, 20 hours each way, and wants to know how it can be as comfortable as possible. Anyone have like a go-to I think my take one Benadryl the minute you get on the plane isn't something I should recommend to other people, but... I was talking to someone for an interview the other day. It will be live. Won't spoil who it is. He said that he um, pops a couple of Xanax before before the plane takes off. Well, okay. Actually, though, I think, like, having the entertainment you want and having, like, I always have a little toiletry bag that has all the things that are going to make me feel comfortable and not disgusting by the time I arrive. Like I always bring my little um, Neutrogena like face wipes. I have a little moisturizer because, you know, after like hour eight, your skin is going to hurt. Like chapstick, toothbrush, all those things. Um, I always have an eye mask and earplugs and those essentials. And then beyond that, I just try and like be as comfortable as I can, have everything easy to access. So I'm not having to, you know, pull my backpack down every time I need something. And, but yeah, I do try and have a glass of wine before I get on the plane and then get on there and pass out. And just like every time they come around with water, drink it. And that helps me. My um, new obsession, I know that this is going to sound so dumb and some people are going to be like, ugh, so annoying. And other people are going to be like, how is she only just now getting onto this? (laughs) Compression socks are like the freaking best thing that has ever happened to me on a long flight. I just flew to South Africa for a long weekend and... I get really bad pins and needles on flights, even if it's like a short flight. And like, you know, you just feel really like a weirdo when you're like walking up and down the aisle, like to, on, a, on a long flight or a short flight. And I have found that compression socks are like the best, the best, the absolute best. I haven't even tried them. I'm man, oh man. <laughs> you really got to. Kinda when we go to, when we go to Nashville, I'll give you some <laughs> compression socks for our two hour flight. But you yeah. can find some quite nice looking ones now as well. Yeah, you shop I, around online. And I think it just like, again, taking off your shoes and I am like not pro like normal, just like shoeless wandering through the also, airplane. I will say no bare feet. Please. No, no. Please. You're, putting so- you're taking off your regular socks and you're putting on new socks. There no. is no <laughs> downtime between the two. No gnarled toes coming but, through the But seat. I think like it really did make me feel more comfortable sitting in my chair for that long of a time because they like actually work to like move blood around your body. Well, also, okay, everyone wears sneakers when they travel. I feel like that is the default uniform. Except sneakers are really uncomfortable when your like feet are swelling up on a 20-hour flight. Like I think the key is to have shoes that are really easy to slide on and off but that you can still wear with socks. So you can like kind of slip off your little socks or slip slip off your little shoes, have your feet right there and like also security is easier and everything but like your feet hurt if you're on a 20-hour flight and you're wearing like laced up Converse, which I've done and is terrible. <laughs> and and then you are in the predicament of like very obviously taking them off, which a lot of people don't like and they have every right not to like. Yeah, and I think it's really about knowing what makes you comfortable. So for me, I can't sleep unless it's pretty much pitch 
black. So I always need an eye mask. Um, and I fully embrace the travel pillow. I know mm-hmm. it's another one of those cliches of like, look at that American tourist walking through um, the airport, but I, I am there and I managed to find a decent um, inflatable one so I can hide it until I get <laughs> on the actual plane. And then like tons of layers. I know this is again, like such conventional travel wisdom, but I'm always cold on planes. And then sometimes I'm on a plane and I'm sweating to death because we're you know taking off from a sunny destination. And then I just have to like be able to take all the layers off and then put them all back on whenever I need to. Um, which is why the blanket scarf is the most incredible invention ever because it doesn't take up any space and it can take you from tropics to New York winter. And Amazing. Exactly. And so I think um, knowing yourself and knowing what puts you to sleep is key. And if that means, you know, doing a crossword before you go to bed or, or reading three pages of your Kindle before you like drop your Kindle on your face, <laughs> do all of those things that you normally do to get to bed and just do your best to pretend you're in your own bed. I think that's such a good point. And, you know, when you're flying economy, obviously 20 hours on an economy flight is going to be horrible. There's no way around it. Like, it's going to be shit. But you can create a little cocoon for yourself and make things just a little bit nicer. And like you said, Steph, like, go through the motions of going to bed. So I will always go to the bathroom and with my Neutrogena face wipes take off my makeup and like slather my face in moisturizer. And also on a side note, always wear elasticated pants. (laughs) (laughs) Just have that extra stretch. Um, So much comfier. And then I wrap myself up in my blanket. I put my eye mask on. I put my headphones in. I often switch between music or um, like an audio book because I find audiobooks incredibly soothing. I actually really make myself not watch the movies because if I fall asleep to a movie, it will be a broken sleep and I would be really uncomfortable. And I also put on some like nice smelling hand moisturizer or I have a little kind of like lavender spray that I spritz on my on my pillow so that it actually like doesn't smell of plain, it smells of lavender. And I like <laughs> try to trick my brain into thinking I'm somewhere nicer. I'm also like pro face spray. Like oh, yeah. just a moisturizer. Man, it just makes you feel like you're in a spa. And if you close your eyes, you're just like, I'm not on this plane. I'm not on this plane. I'm not on this That's plane. The thing. If you trick yourself, it's like you just got yourself on this seat for $800 and it's a luxury and you're going this amazing. Like trick yourself. Do what you need to do. <laughs> because also it is a luxury, even though they do not make it feel like it anymore. But I also think the other tip for surviving and not crashing when you arrive is the minute you are on the plane, you need to be in the time zone of where you're going. So like beforehand, figure out what that is. And if you board a plane at 8pm, but in your destination, it's 8am, it's 8am for you. Stay up through the night, do whatever you can, whether that's watching movies um, and try and like get on the schedule because it's the only way to arrive and be able to hit the ground running. And, you know, I just when I'm on the plane, whatever's happening outside, that's why I have my eye mask, like it is the new time zone now. And that helps a lot. Just on planes lately, they they seem to just more and more. Once you you're up in the air for an hour or so, they just go sort of sleep time, and they like turn the lights down, and mm-hmm. everyone sort of goes to sleep, even if it's like broad daylight outside and it's like a domestic flight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that because then people stop talking. I'm like, yes, Ooh, it's very quiet. Good point. Oh, very good point. Um, so then, speaking of flights, um, another question from Julie in the group. Um, she asks, could there be any consequences for me if I skip the last leg of a return flight? For example, I get on a flight in Budapest, fly to London, and then I'm supposed to continue on to New York. Would skipping the very last flight, so London to New York, 
uh, work given that I only have hand luggage. And I know that this is a point of confusion for a lot of people and it has come up time and time again in the office because even travel editors don't really know what you can do. <laughs> um, but Meredith, I think you might have some wisdom. I do. And the first thing is, this is not a direct answer to Julie's question, but never skip the first leg of your flight if you think that you want to take the other parts of it. Once you miss that first leg, your itinerary will be canceled. Um, so if you, you know, for some reason have made it to the next city and you're like, oh, I could just pick up my flight here, that is not going to work out in your favor. Um, so never skip that first leg. Always either call the airline and rebook or change your plans accordingly. No, I have a question for that though. But okay, if you call and rebook, do you then have to pay again? Yeah. Even no, you, you don't have to. Re you don't necessarily have to rebook your entire itinerary. You might have to pay a change fee, um, or you could just adjust your plans to be okay. at that first city. Okay. I feel like you should still be able to be like, I'm still coming for the others, and that's just it. No, so, but, but that's the thing. That it is not the case. <laughs> um, as far as skipping the last leg, here's the deal. You can skip the last leg of your flight, but if in Budapest, there is no more space because you're in the last boarding group and they're like, you have to check your bag and it's going to be checked all the way to New York. You cannot do anything other than check your bag all the way through to New York. There's no option for you to fight with the airline about picking it up in London and not getting on that next leg. So when you do that, you have to know that it might be an, like a possibility that you are going to have to either just get off that flight and have them rebook you on another one, which will probably cost you a lot of money or end up going to your final destination. The other thing is that if you book with the intention of missing that last leg, because a lot of times it's this thing called hidden cities or skip lagging, and there are companies that search for cheaper deals. So a lot of companies search it like this. They'd basically be able to show you if you're wanting to fly from um, New York to Rome, and they're saying that if you've booked a flight from New York to Rome, and then that flight ended up continuing on to Istanbul, that itinerary, it would be cheaper for you to do that than just to book a flight from New York to Rome because some weird airline airfare hoopla that never makes any sense because they're not allowed to be transparent about it. If you book with the intention of skipping that last leg, Technically, you're breaking the rules and contract of carriage of what the airline is offering you. So the service that you're buying, you're like lying to the airline. And that is something they can actually sue you for. And Lufthansa sued a passenger for like 2,000 euros for doing this thing. They It got dismissed, but Lufthansa is trying to appeal. So we will see what ends up happening. But I would just say it's not always in your best interest to do this and you just have to have like a lot of flexibility and know that it might not work out in your favor the odds are that it won't work out in your favor and my friend actually recently got screwed over because she booked a flight from new york to london return and then changed her plans and decided to tack on to the beginning of her trip to london a trip to norway so she bought a separate flight to norway with the intention that she would just get on the return flight of her other booked flight back from London to New York. And of course, when it came time for her to fly back from London, she was not on a flight and they had cancelled her entire itinerary. 
And if you don't know this ahead of time, you're going to find out when you check in, which is not the pl- a pleasant time to find out that you no longer have a flight or a good time to purchase a new flight because it's going to be way more money yeah. than you thought you were going to pay for it. Exorbitantly priced <laughs> flight to get back to work on time. Well, and I would also just say I feel like a really straightforward thing to remember is if you're trying to go to the middle stop on a route. If you're, the first flight is delayed or something, that middle destination could completely change. I've been on flights where it's, you know, you're going from L.A. to New York and you have a stop in Chicago and then there's bad weather. You leave from L.A. late and you end up stopping in somewhere totally different. And if Chicago was where you really wanted to be, you're not going there. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think when you know you need this kind of flexibility in your travel plans, this is kind of one of the few times that you might consider booking two one-way tickets because then it is much easier to just cancel one end of your trip or, you know, rebook just one leg without having it affect all the other legs. And sometimes there are there are definitely still cases where the two one-way tickets cost the same as the round-trip ticket, and it'll give you um, a lot more flexibility. And And yes, there are always times where, you know, something happens and you just can't make that last leg. So you you don't take it. Um, The only thing I would warn against is if you do it often, it's likely that the airlines will notice and have you on a list. And so let's say you're a frequent JetBlue flyer and you do this on JetBlue a lot. You definitely risk, you know, not just being sued by the airline, but also potentially banned by the airline, losing any frequent flyer status. You know, there's often a lot more complications than simply just skipping one leg of your itinerary. Exactly. Um, I want to wrap up with a question that I know Lale is going to be very excited to answer because when we recorded our news resolution episode, um, Lale talked about living a greener travel lifestyle. It's sort of going half <laughs> well. Half is better drank, than none. Drank out of a plastic water bottle today. <laughs> Had a nice coffee with a plastic straw. We're working on it. Catherine asks, can anyone recommend a coral-friendly high-factor sunscreen, please? So there are actually lots of them out there, and it is uh, growing. I was going to say trend, but it's, it's more than that, because I think it's really the direction that a lot of sun cream companies are trying to go in and are expanding into, because more and more people are caring about this issue as more and more news comes out about the terrible effects that our sunscreens are having on coral reefs in some of the most beautiful places in the world. So there's a bunch of brands. Um, one that I've used that I've also seen lots of people using is Supergoop um, with an exclamation mark at the end. <laughs> Supergoop. There's also Manda Minerals, which is uh, based in Hawaii. And we actually talk about that one in a story we ran a couple of years ago about how to find the best reef-friendly sunscreens and the people that usually have the answer are surfers because they are the ones that are seeing what's happening firsthand. Um, and a bunch of them, I think, I could be wrong, but I think think including Manda Minerals has been started by surfers who wanted to do something when there weren't enough reef-friendly sunscreens. Um, Cooler is another brand, as is Stream to See. If you can't find them in your local drugstore, you can buy them all on Amazon. It shouldn't be hard to get hold of them. And I will say they are a little pricier, but like a lot of things that are good for the planet, it is 
going to be that way. And it is only a good thing. You will not regret spending money <laughs> on reef-friendly sunscreen. Yes. You will get to see the reefs <laughs> before they die. Yeah. And I love that um, people are thinking proactively about this kind of thing when they're shopping for um, sunscreen. But it is worth noting that there are destinations around the world that are also kind of proactively saying, you know, please don't wear these types of sunscreens when you come. And actually, Hawaii has officially banned any sunscreen that includes, um, I'm going to probably mess up the name of these chemicals, but oxybenzone and octanoxate. Um, so when you are, if you are headed to Hawaii or if you're going anywhere where you are concerned about coral reef health, um, those are the two drugs to look out for on sunscreen labels. And those are the ones you want to avoid. Oxybenzone and octanoxate. <laughs> also, um, for selfish reasons, I don't want those things on my body. What are those things? <laughs> and I, for in terms of a brand, I love Sunbum, and it's super easy to see them on the um, pharmacy shelf. They are the bottle itself looks kind of wooden, and it's got a yellow cap and a really cute monkey on it. And oh, I, I love that. That's brand. my favorite I've brand. <laughs> Amazing. Well, now that we've wrapped up. Stephanie, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at ByStephWu. That's B-Y-S-T-E-P-H-W-U. Or look out for my work on cntraveler.com. And Megan? You can find me at Spirelli on Instagram. And you can find me at Lalehana as always on Instagram. And I'm at OhHeyThereMare on Twitter and Instagram. We will talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker and host of The New Yorker Fiction Podcast. On the podcast, I ask a great contemporary writer to select a favorite story from the magazine's almost 100-year archive to read and discuss. Together, we delve into the story, exploring its themes, its style, and what makes fiction work. You can listen to authors like Otessa Moshfeg talk about why we write. Story, or attaching a story or creating a story, is this inclination that we all have to stop spinning. And you can hear writers like George Saunders discuss the nature of storytelling. On the first read, you accept these things as descriptions and they make you see the scene, but every line is a chance to inflect the reader's mind. You'll discover new favorite authors and read old favorites in new ways. Episodes of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast are released on the first of every month. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.